There aren't many TV programs about adoption. Uh, there is one that bucks that trend a bit. It's uh, going into its fourth season. Uh, although it's called Trying, in the very first episode, the, the fictional Camden-based couple, uh, they decide to adopt. And subsequent episodes and series follow their journey, their, their, jo- their joys, their, their doubts, uh, their struggles with adoption agencies, uh, their, their appearance before the adoption panel, their approval, and the day that they eventually bring home a sister and a brother. But why did the show's creator decide to write a series about adoption? Well, quite simply, it was because he was adopted himself. And I think it makes sense to us that those who have been adopted would be particularly interested in adoption. That they would be especially likely to advocate for adoption and fostering. And that is true of James and Katie. Uh, Because they have been adopted, they have a particular interest in adoption. And that's also true of many in this church. Uh, Because we have been adopted, we have a particular interest in adoption. Or at least we should have. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, Maybe at this point, James and Katie's mothers are thinking, I'm pretty sure I was there for the birth. Uh, So when I say they've been adopted, I don't mean physically but spiritually in the sense that according to the bible uh, to become a christian is to be adopted into god's family and so for us as christians uh, to see someone being adopted into a new family is a particularly beautiful thing many of us followed james and katie's adoption journey with great interest From their first telling us what they were planning uh, through all the stages of the application process until finally we we saw a picture of Shauna or met her for the first time. And as a result, many of us no doubt have a greater understanding of the adoption process than we had a few years ago. Well, today I want to talk about the spiritual adoption process. Uh, I want to take you behind the scenes, as it were, to show you uh, what has happened to James and Katie. In fact, what has happened to everyone who has put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is on offer to you today, if you haven't yet experienced it for yourself. We're going to look at this under two main headings this morning, saying firstly that adoption is a Christian's highest privilege. Adoption is a Christian's highest privilege. I don't want to assume that everyone here is familiar with the Bible. And so I want to begin this morning by giving you a one-sentence definition of what a Christian is, uh, and then a three-word summary of the New Testament. So if you can remember one sentence uh, plus an extra three words, 
Uh, then uh, that'll give you at least something to take away. Uh, both of these summaries come from a man called James Packer, uh, who died a few years ago. Uh, he wrote a lot of helpful books. And both of them have something to do with adoption. So here's firstly his summary of what a Christian is. Oh, although actually before we get to that, how, how would you sum it up? What is a Christian? Many would say that a Christian is someone who goes to church or a Christian is someone who has been baptised or a Christian is someone who believes certain things about Jesus Christ. And certainly all those things should be true of Christians. But they fall short, don't they, of describing what a Christian really is. And so here's a, a better a one-sentence summary from this man, James Packer. He, he says, a Christian is someone who has God as their father. A Christian is someone who has God as their father. And that's something we'll spend most of the rest of our time today on packing. But before we do that, here is a three uh, word summary of the New Testament. So three more words. Uh, these are from Packer's book, Knowing God. Uh, so are you ready for this? Uh, he says the New Testament is about adoption through propitiation. Adoption through propitiation. That word propitiation, it simply describes what Jesus did on the cross. How he bore God's wrath in the place of sin. How Jesus absorbed the, the wrath of God so that there would be none left to be poured out on any who would put their trust in him. But particularly why I've quoted it is because of that first word, adoption. Because there you have someone trying to sum up what a Christian is in one sentence. You have someone trying to sum up the New Testament in three words. And he can't do either of those things without talking about adoption. He can't do it without talking about being brought into God's family from the outside. And that is because adoption is the Christian's highest privilege. So I've quoted Packer, he was an Englishman who went to Canada. Here's John Murray, who was a Scotsman who went to America. And Murray said that adoption is the apex of grace and privilege. Boys and girls, the, the apex is the highest point of something. So, so the apex of a mountain is the top of the mountain. The, the apex of a house is the highest point of a house. And, and so to say that, that adoption is the apex of all our privileges, it means that there's nothing greater that God could give us. Maybe you can... Hear the excitement of the Apostle John as he writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Or the Apostle Paul, in those words in Galatians we read earlier, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Perhaps someone will say, well, hold on. I I thought having my sins forgiven was my highest privilege. Well, having your sins forgiven is a high privilege indeed. People use the phrase eternally grateful uh, rather lightly. Say, I'll be eternally grateful if you'll do this or, or I'm eternally grateful for what they did to me. But we will be eternally grateful for the fact that we have had our sins forgiven. Uh, For the fact that the judge has declared us not guilty. Not because we didn't do the things that we were accused of. But because he has paid the price for what we've done. To have all our sins wiped clean is something we should never be able to get over. But surely it's even greater for the judge uh, to then turn round to us as we stand in the dock and say, come and live with me. Rather than going back out onto the street, you come and be part of my family. What benefits do those who are effectually called by God partake of in this life? Our catechism asks, They that are effectually called in this life partake of justification, adoption, and sanctification. Justification is a tremendous thing. And if you're not sure what justification is, that's why the Reformation happened. The Reformation had to happen because the doctrine of justification by faith had been lost. People had begun to think that they could earn their place in heaven by by their good works or by giving in their money to church. Well, actually, scratch that. People hadn't begun to think that they could earn their place in heaven. People have always thought that they could earn their place in heaven. But, but the church before the Reformation had begun to teach it, and many churches still teach it today. And yet the Bible is clear. We could never earn our salvation. But rather the book of Romans declares, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not we hope one day we might have done enough to earn peace with God, but we have peace with God now because it doesn't depend on us. And so for someone working and striving and laboring to try and somehow do enough to earn their way to heaven, the doctrine of justification by faith is wonderful news. It's it's tremendous news because it says it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's amazing But the picture of justification is of a a law court. Uh, And that picture doesn't take us anywhere beyond the law court. Whereas the picture of adoption is a picture of the family. And the family is a greater picture than the law court. Now, without justification, there could be no adoption. Without sins forgiven, we could never have a place in God's family. Justification is our foundation blessing, but adoption is our chief blessing. We could ask the question, why does God predestine us? Because the Bible not only tells us 
that God does predestine us. It tells us why. And the answer is in Ephesians 1.5. He predestined us for adoption. He chose us for adoption. And so justification is a means to that end, but it is not the end itself. Or we could ask another question. Another really important question. Why did Jesus die? To be a, a good example? No. What does the Apostle Paul say in those verses we read earlier? God sent forth his Son so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent forth his Son from heaven that we might receive adoption. Or in the words of Hebrews 2, Jesus suffered in order to bring many sons to glory. Many sons to glory. So adoption in the Bible is not just an interesting little doctrine that we can think about or talk about or, or not think about or not talk about. It's the, it's the whole point. It's the whole point. To be a Christian is to have God as your father. The message of the New Testament is not one primarily of moral improvement or social improvement, though it includes those things. But above all, it's a message of adoption through propitiation. In other words, being brought into God's family as a result of faith in what Jesus has done. So firstly this morning, adoption is the Christian's highest privilege. But secondly then, we want to drill down a bit and see what adoption involves. So secondly, what adoption involves. Sometimes in theology books, the doctrine of adoption is, is tacked on at the end of the doctrine of justification. Which is perhaps one of the reasons why adoption hasn't always been treasured as it might have been by Christian folk. But our own Westminster Confession of Faith rightly gives adoption its own chapter. It's a short chapter. In fact, it's just one sentence, one long sentence. But it is a sentence to make your heart sing. It is the greatest summary of adoption that I've ever seen. And so I'm going to give you now this great one-sentence summary of biblical teaching. And then I'll go through and highlight some bits of it using Shona as an example. This is the longest sentence that you'll hear today, but it's a good one. It's also on the little insert inside your order of service if you want to follow along. So here goes. All those who are justified, God promises in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partakers of the grace of adoption by which they're taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God, have his name put upon them, receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption, and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Wow, what a sentence. 
So what does it tell us about adoption? Well, firstly, adoption is the privilege of every Christian, but not of every human being without distinction. Uh, and we'll come, back at that, we'll come back to that at the end. But then secondly, adoption is not something that we can merit or deserve. Why does God adopt us in and for his only son, Jesus Christ? And actually, adoption today is a a better picture of adoption uh, than adoption in the ancient world. Uh, Shona is a better picture of this uh, than someone who was adopted uh, back in, in the Roman Empire would have been. Because in the Roman Empire, people didn't tend to adopt young children. In the words of one historian, they believed that adoption was far too serious a business to be involving babies. Uh, Rather, boys or men would be adopted so that high-ranking Romans would have someone to pass their names, titles or property onto if they didn't have their own children or if their own children uh, had proved a disappointment. Have you heard of of Hadrian, uh, the guy who built the wall? Uh, Well, Hadrian was a Roman emperor and he adopted uh, an heir called Antonius Pius. Uh, and when, when Hadrian adopted Pius, Pius was 51, uh, not, not 51 months, but 51 years. And as a result, Pius became emperor after Hadrian. So in the ancient world, people were looking for someone deserving. Uh, They were looking for someone who had proved themselves over a long period of time. Uh, They were looking for someone uh, that they could safely entrust their legacy to. Uh, According to, to this historian, the head of the house would survey the market of spare sons among their aristocratic chums. And the most likely available prospect would then be adopted. So is that what James and Katie were doing when they adopted Shauna? Were they looking for someone who deserved to be adopted? Uh, Were they looking for for someone who who stood out above all the other candidates as as having more to bring to the table? Not at all. And that's exactly what Christian adoption is like. No one is adopted into God's family because they're deserving because none of us are it's simply because of God's amazing kindness the idea of looking round and adopting whoever deserves it most is thankfully foreign to us today and it is foreign to the Bible as well but there's one way in that in which adoption in the ancient world and adoption today do match up and that's because As I've said, to be adopted was to become an heir. That's true today, of course, with physical adoption. Uh, uh, Though not to the same extent as in Rome. Uh, Shauna will one day be be one of the heirs to to whatever James and Katie leave behind. Uh, So... This idea of the inheritance of being an heir, it's, it's included in adoption today, but it's not the reason for doing it. Uh, by the way, boys and girls, you might not know the word heir. It, it sounds a bit like the air we breathe, but it's spelled H-E-I-R. 
And an heir is someone who gets something when someone else dies. An heir is someone who gets something when someone else dies. So, for example, Prince William is the heir to the throne. That means whenever King Charles dies, Prince William will become king because he is the heir. And the heir inherits everything. And that is part of the picture of Christian adoption. Uh, Romans eight seventeen. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Or Galatians 4, 7 again. We read it earlier. So you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. What does it mean to be an heir of God? It means that we inherit all things. Blessed are the meek, said the Lord Jesus, for they shall inherit the earth. All things are yours, says the Apostle Paul. Whether the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. And that is the ultimate antidote to wishing that we had more here and now. One day everything will be ours. Uh, And that's also what sets us free now to use what we do have to serve others. To be adopted is to be an heir. To be adopted is also to join other brothers and sisters. Shauna has found herself with two big brothers. And in the same way, to be adopted into God's family is to be taken into the number and enjoy the privileges of the children of God. In the family of God, there is one natural son and the rest of us who are there are adopted children. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene after his resurrection, he told her, I am ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. Why does he not just say, I'm ascending to our father? Well, because he is God's eternal son. Whereas we are children by adoption. God didn't adopt us because he didn't have a son of his own. Jesus is the eternal son of the father. And so God in that sense did not need to adopt us. But rather he adds us to the ever growing family of God. With people of every nation from all tribes and tongues and peoples and languages. That he might share his abundance with us. Of course that all shows how foolish it is for someone to say. Well I'm a Christian but I don't need the church. As if someone were to be adopted and say. Well I'm glad to be in this new family. But I'm not going to have anything to do with my new brothers and sisters. To be adopted is to be added to the number of brothers and sisters. And if we have truly been adopted into God's family, one of of the, the evidences of that will be that we love the new family that God has brought us into, even if it's not the, the family that we would have chosen. Two more things that adoption involves. The first is that it gives us access to the throne of grace. Or to put it more simply, Shauna is going to be able to ask James and Katie for things. Even now she can let them know what she wants. And they're learning what she wants. 
as their child. She has a claim on them that a random child in the street doesn't have. A random child in the street might ask James or Katie for something and they might give it to them. But that random child has no claim on them the way their own child does. And that's a bit like the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. People often ask, will God answer the prayers of an unbeliever? Maybe. But they can have no confidence that he will. But the believer is coming to their father. I want you to picture a throne room in the ancient world. Imagine someone who has travelled from far away to ask something of the king. They come bringing gifts. They bow down and pay homage. And as they're doing that, are still uncertain whether the king will grant them their request. Uh, they hear a noise uh, and, and they look up and a little four-year-old girl has just come skipping into the room. Uh, and she, she walks up the steps, climbs straight up under the throne, jumps onto the lap of the king and asks for something. And she does so with the absolute confidence that unless it would uh, be unhealthy for her or hurt her, the king is going to give it to her. Why can that little girl have so much confidence? How how can she dare come up to the king? Well, she's his daughter. She's his daughter. And to be adopted into God's family means that we have that sort of access to him. Do, Do you ever worry about going up to another person in case they don't really want to talk to you? In case they're not really going to be interested in what you're going to say well children don't have that worry when they come up to us and we need have no such worries when we talk to God if you then who are evil says Jesus because uh, compared to to him our, our best is evil if you who are evil know how to give good work good gifts to your children How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Uh, I'll put a quote in your handout from uh, Thomas Houston, a a 19th century pastor who wrote a book on adoption. Uh, And in it he says, With greater freedom and confidence than a children goes to its earthly father, may we, by the spirit of adoption, come at all times to our heavenly father, pour out our hearts before him, and cast all our burdens on him. Isn't that great? Christian, watch the confidence that children have as they go and ask their parents for things. You can go to your father with that confidence. You can go to your father with that confidence. The final thing that being adopted means is that the adopted child will in some way or other take on the family likeness. Not in how they look, but in how they speak, how they act, their mannerisms, their idiosyncrasies. There will be things that Shauna says or does simply because that's what her new family do. Things that she wouldn't have done if she was adopted by another family. Uh, And we'll, we'll know where she got those things from. And that's true of Christian adoption as well. 
In fact, one of God's goals in adopting us is to make us more like himself and like our elder brother, Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, uh, made more like Jesus, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And actually, one thing that our Heavenly Father uses to achieve that end is discipline. Now, that might not be a word that brings with it positive connotations, but Hebrews 12 tells us that the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And part of James and Katie loving Shauna and loving Thomas and Luke will be disciplining them. A child who is just visiting the home will not be disciplined, though their parents might be told about what they've done. But a child who is really part of the family will be disciplined at times. And so too as Christians, we are, in the beautiful words of the confession, chastened by God as a father, yet never cast off. There is no punishment left for us because it has been taken by Jesus. But there is chastening, there is discipline. And it's all part of us becoming more like our father and like our elder brother, Jesus Christ. So we've seen then this morning that adoption is the Christian's highest privilege. We've fleshed out a bit what our adoption into God's family involves. But just before we close, I do need to spell out what has hopefully already been clear. And that is that to have God as your father is not a privilege that every human being has. To say that a Christian is someone who has God as their father implies that not everyone has God as their father. Surely God is everyone's father, someone might ask. But that's not what the Bible says. Some of the opening verses of John's Gospel tell us, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In other words, only those who believe in Jesus get to become children of God. And if you're not yet in this family this morning, if you're not yet in the family of God, the great news is that you can be. You can be. That TV series that I mentioned at the beginning, one of the problems that the couple ran into with the adoption agency is that they start off just wanting to adopt one child and they meet this little girl, princess, and it's great and they want to adopt her, but then they find out that she's got a little brother and the, the little brother wants to be adopted too. And they say, yes, we'll take him. But they're only allowed to adopt one because they don't have enough rooms in their house. But there are no space limits in the family of God. Uh, there are no space limits in the family of God. The only thing that will stop you getting in is your sin. But God is that covered too. Jesus' death will literally cover it and it will give you in its place his record of perfect obedience if only you will trust in him. Perhaps you have family members who are in this family of God but you aren't. What a joy it would be for them if you were to stop standing out in the cold and if, this, if they could say one thing to you this morning it would probably be Moses' words to his father-in-law. We are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will do good to you 
for the Lord has promised good to his people. Come with us and we will do good to you, for the Lord has promised good to his people. Amen. Well, I'm conscious that as I've spoken about being adopted into God's family and the picture of what a father is, that for some of you it it may be very different from what your experience of a father was uh, because well no no father lives up to this picture of of God in the Bible but but sadly some human fathers are the complete opposite of what that is like and perhaps it's even hard for you to 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 think of God as a father because there are so many negative connotations Uh, but we're going to sing now from Psalm 27 uh, because it, it tells us that God is different from those fathers or perhaps mothers as well who were maybe physically present but emotionally absent. Psalm 27, the first verse on the sheet. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation, nor me leave, though both my parents me forsake, the Lord will me receive. Uh, Sometimes human parents are anything but uh, what is pictured in the Bible. Uh, They're anything but uh, good pictures of what God is. Uh, But even if they forsake us, God will not. And uh, the song finishes with with great words of trust in God's goodness and in his strength. And as we think about bringing up children, uh, which I'll speak a little bit more on shortly, how we need God's strength for that. Uh, And God uh, promises to supply what we need. So Psalm 27, the four verses on the sheet, uh, will stand to sing praise. (laughs) 